Welcome to the Built for Playmakers podcast. I'm your host, Kelvin Hunt, editor of ChopChat.com. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, been a little while since I was able to record, uh, but we're back in the saddle. Uh, welcome all new new listeners. Um, if you guys have been rocking with me uh, since the beginning, I appreciate you tuning back in. I uh, had a, a, a number of new five-star ratings on um, the Google platform there uh, for the show, so really appreciate that. This episode, we're going to be talking about some FSU hoops, uh, FSU football, of course, recruiting. And um, before we uh, get into it, I want to uh, shout out our sponsor, um, betonline.ag, the number one spot for all best, uh, best sports wagering action for 2022. Um, make sure you head over to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Uh, just use the promo code BELIEVE. That's B L E A V. And, uh, you know, you still have NFL playoff action. Um, Obviously, college basketball, uh, boxing, UFC, hockey, you know, so if you're looking to, um, you know, uh, try the odds, uh, make sure you go over to uh, betonline.ag. But um, yeah, man, I wanted to record after FSU handed Miami the ninth consecutive loss in the series. And, um, you know, there's what, six uh, straight win. But something told me to just hold off, you know, just see how this team responded you know, to um, the success that they were achieving. And um, lo and behold, you know, we, um, you know, we saw what happened um, late Wednesday night for those of you that stayed up for it. But before we get into the negative part, I do want to shout out uh, Leonard Hamilton for, um, you know, putting the cap on uh, just a, just a dominant past year for FSU over Miami. When you go back, you know, the full calendar year, Obviously, you know, FSU basketball has owned them for the last nine games. But not only that, uh, obviously they lost to um, FSU football um, this past fall. And then, of course, um, FSU baseball um, swept Miami in the regular season and then also beat them another time in the ACC tournament to go 4-0 without losing to them. Obviously, you know, we whipped them in soccer and not only that, uh, just last week, right before the basketball game, FSU swim team um, went down and smoked Miami um, in their own pool. You know, so Miami's got to be asking, like, what the world's going on? You know, they even bring out, you know, their uh, $8 million cheerleader, Crystal Ball, to come out, you know, and try to uh, hype up the crowd and, you know, failed miserably. Uh, he probably should have been looking to hire an offensive coordinator since they can't get one down there. But, um, you know, so all in all, you know, got a shout out, you know, you know, Leonard Hamilton for, you know, having that program in a position that nobody thought they would be in. Um, you know, I guess on Wednesday night's um, game is probably what we thought we would see the entire year, um, you know, when they went down and lost to Georgia Tech. But, um, you know. I just, I just had a feeling, you know, I was hopeful that they would come out and play well in the next three games. You know, you got, you had Georgia Tech um, Wednesday night, then you got Virginia Tech, and then it, I think, I think it's Clemson after that. What should have been three winnable games, and you know, so they'll need to bounce back um, here after the loss to Georgia Tech, which was at the bottom of the conference, and you know. 
I know the announcers in the game, they didn't do their homework. They were talking about how, how big of a, an upset it was. And, you know, if you read the preview on chopchat.com, you would know that FSU was only a five point favorite, you know, going into that game. So yes, you know, when you look at it on paper, you like, you got the first place team in the conference against the last place team in the conference. But, you know, at the end of the day, it, it was, I mean, it was a road game also. So, you know, it wasn't that big of an upset. And not only that, you know, with that loss, FSU went from being first place in the division to like sixth or seventh, you know, in the, uh, in the conference, um, you know, so we, if you didn't watch the game, um, you may ask, well, how in the world did FSU lose to Georgia Tech? You know, well, basically they had 12 turnovers in the first half, uh, 17 turnovers total. 14 of the 17 turnovers came from FSU guards. So that's the freshman Worley, Raekwon Evans, and Anthony Polite. And, uh, you know, you just can't turn the ball over. I mean, just ridiculous, careless entry pass turnovers, you know, just lazy passes, you know, just just things that shouldn't happen. And um, then you look at it and you say, okay, um, Matthew Cleveland was two of ten from the floor. Caleb Mills, who has you know been a leading scorer for FSU during that winning streak, um, he only played nineteen minutes, and you know just wasn't assertive and wasn't aggressive, you know as he has been in the past. And then on top of that, you know the one thing I, I wrote in the preview, I said the one thing that uh, Georgia Tech does well or decently, not even well, but decently. Um, was shooting the three ball. You know, they came into that game shooting like 37% from three-point land. And lo and behold, you know, they made 10 threes in the game. And, um, you know, had a, a huge advantage at the free throw line. Uh, with like four minutes to go in the game, they had shot 24 free throw attempts to FSU's nine. And the crazy thing was it didn't really seem that lopsided during the game. That's how bad FSU played with all the turnovers. It didn't seem like it was that big of a, a difference. Um, but, you know, but it was. But that wasn't why FSU lost. You know, it was just the careless turnovers, um, you know, poor shot selection sometime. And um, just, you know, Georgia Tech hitting, hitting 10 threes, really. Um, you know, FSU was able to uh, cut it down to like four points um, with under with with under five minutes to play, and you know, just couldn't just couldn't pull it out. And I know a lot of people are, are, are you know, again, they're questioning. It's so funny, they're questioning Leonard Hamilton. You know, they can't beat. You know, he doesn't know how to beat his own. And and then I saw somebody ask, well, how in the world did they beat Syracuse? And it's because FSU shot. 54% from the floor and went 12 of 20 from three point land and only had 10 turnovers, you know, and that game was what, less than two or three weeks ago. So it's not that it's not that they don't, they don't know how to beat a zone. I mean, there, there were a couple of times where they just carved Georgia tech up, you know, um, and just flash to the middle, attack the rim, you know, throw lobs over the top of it. Um, uh, Naheem McLeod, you know, had a decent game. But it was just a lack of execution. You know, the guys just seemed like, I don't know, man, it kind of felt like they expected to show up 
because they had you know beaten Miami and, and Duke and Georgia Tech was going to just lay down. But I, I can't remember his name. It might have been the the Usher guy, the light skinned guy from Georgia Tech. You know, he was hyped from the beginning. And at first, I was like, bro, he out here just, you know, he out here, you know, just showing all this emotion and blah blah blah. But you know, that kind of carried over during the game, and he, and he kept that intensity the whole time. That kind of it seemed like it kind of won over his teammates, and they started believing that they were going to win that game and. You know, that's exactly what happened, you know, but, you know, it is an awful loss. Um, Georgia Tech was uh, number 135 in the latest Ken Palm rankings. Like I said, bottom, you know, bottom of the barrel in the ACC, um, a game FSU shouldn't lose, you would think. But again, it's still, you know, you know they have some experience under the belt. But, you know, when you, whenever you have a young team, man you know and you don't have a lot of experience getting together you know and you're playing on the road it's easy it's easy to just kind of you know f- forget the confidence that you had been playing with and and basketball you know is a is a game of runs and you know, you saw uh, Georgia Tech just explode and when it was up like 14 and 15 um, right before half, and a Kaylin Mills three pointer at the buzzer, you know, made it eleven at halftime. And um, FSU, you know, kind of chipped away, chipped away, and you know, they just felt it just seemed like they never really believed that they were going to get over over the hump in that game. And Georgia Tech just just seemed like they had more energy the whole game. And so this next game against um, Virginia Tech on Saturday is going to be really big. Now this will be. This will be a similar situation for Georgia Tech like it was with FSU last week. You know, FSU had played four games in eight days and three in the last five. And I think uh, Virginia Tech will be on their, like, third game in a really short time frame. So, um, hopefully, you know, they, they may have some some tire legs and FSU can take advantage of that. And, and um, obviously, it'll be a home game. And so, uh, FSU plays with a different energy at home. So, hopefully, um, they'll, they'll have a, a – you know, a good rebound game. and But of the three games between Georgia Tech and, and Virginia Tech and Clemson, Virginia Tech um, is the – is they're actually um, ranked higher in the Kempom rankings than FSU is, so even though their record doesn't really look great. Uh, but they're a balanced team on offense and defense. Both were in the top 60 in the nation last I looked. Um, so, you know, it'll be um, – and I think Miami barely squeaked by them the other night, so – uh, it'll be interesting to see how Leonard Hamilton has his team to respond. If they come come out and um, they do work against Virginia Tech, then you know, okay, that's that's what they need, and uh, they'll need to win some games here to um, kind of put themselves back in a position so that they are, you know, not on the outside looking in whenever it's time for um, the ACC tournament to roll around. You know, hopefully, you don't get to a situation where you have to win the ACC tournament basically to, um, to make the NCAA tournament. Um, but moving on over to, um, football, you know, there's a, a lot of chatter about, um, you know, the rankings and, uh, I guess some of the sites updated their rankings and FSU, you know, dropped in the rankings overall or whatever, but, um, you know, I wrote the other day, you know, as we near uh, national signing day, um, next week that, you know, really not to expect too much. Um, the only guy that they, only high school guy that they could sign would be, uh, Ontavious Woody. And, you know, who knows if he'll qualify, um, 
if uh, if FSU does not uh, sign him uh, next week, then I think you probably can assume he's not going to qualify academically. So that will open up another spot for them to use in the transfer portal. And um, I know some people I saw some people talking about why wasn't FSU targeting more high school players um, that are left in the 2022 class. And um, the simple reason is there's not really anybody out there, number one, that they have a realistic shot at, number two, that would be any good. I mean, there's a couple of national guys out there, you know, but they're national guys, so FSU doesn't have a shot at them. But anybody that's that they realistically could get wouldn't do any – would be too much of, of a developmental player for FSU to take, you know. So that's why they've concentrated so much on the – um, players from the transfer portal. And if you guys have watched any of the interviews from the uh, guys that have enrolled from at FSU this spring that they took in the transfer portal, all those guys are, are seem to be very mature. They seem to kind of know, you know, it seems like, you know, the coaching staff, you know, was very direct with them that, hey, you know, we expect you to come in here as I, as I mentioned in previous episodes that, you know, you're coming here for a reason to fill a role. Um, I know you have goals that you want to reach and we need you to reach goals that we want to reach as a program and as a team. And so, you know, those players seem like, you know, they've, they've kind of bought in already and I know they've already, you know, done some tour of duty and, um, some, some, some workouts on their own. And just listening to those players uh, from the transfer portal, you know, it, to me, it seems like the coaching staff, under, you know, they understand, um, you know, these players are a bit more mature. You know, they've been through the recruiting process before. Um, so this is kind of their second time around and it's all business for the most part. And so, you know, these coaching, the, this coaching staff seems to be able to relate to them a bit better, um, I guess, because they're using more logic or more rationale instead of uh, hype as you would have to do with uh, some of the, the high school players. But I've been impressed by, you know, the transfer guys, um, how they're, you know, conducting themselves. We saw the same thing last year with uh, Jermaine Johnson, Keir Thomas, and uh, the rest of those guys, you know, they came in and it was all business. And, you know, these transfer players seem to be the, um, you know, the same way. And so, you know, that, that kind of has me excited. And, um, you know, going back and looking at, um, the way they've handled the 22 cycle, um, like I said, just kind of just being done with the high school players. I know they were entertaining the Jack Pyburn defensive end, um, last week and ultimately decided not to offer. And I put it on Twitter. I, I thought that was a, I thought that was a good decision not to offer him. Um, not saying he's a bad player or anything, um, but you know, like I said on Twitter, you know, FSU had already has enough developmental players along the defensive line and the uh, defensive end positions. So if they're, they're going to take somebody at this point, it kind of needs to be somebody that they are pretty sure can, can, you know, impact this year or have an opportunity to impact this year um, or, you know, next year, you know, having multiple years of eligibility. Um, looking at um, Power Burns tape, to me, uh, it seemed like it was going to be at least two years, probably three, before 
or if he would even have any type of impact um, whatsoever. So I think that's uh, another reason why you're seeing uh, the coaching staff just kind of wait for the portal to catch back fire after the spring. You know, I've been talking about how, you know, players are going to start entering the portal again after spring practice practices conclude. And, um, you know, they'll kind of go from there. So what that does is that allows the coaching staff, and we've been seeing that over the past couple of weeks, we've been seeing the coaching staff spend a ton of time on the 2023 recruiting class who they've already, they already have four commits, which is the exact, the exact same number that they had um, at this time last year. And the good thing is they already had their quarterback with the Chris Parson. And they also have um, who I think is going to be an impact player, um, uh, legacy recruit Lamont Green Jr. at defensive end. Then they got Randy Pittman and Vandravius uh, Jacobs at wide receiver. So they kind of got a good a good little nucleus there, and um, they've been bringing in a ton of guys uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, twenty twenty three guys, twenty four, twenty five, and I even saw they offered a twenty twenty six kid. And I was like, bro, this is crazy. So if they're already offering twenty five and twenty six guys. You got to think this staff is confident that they're going to be here to see those things kind of come to um, fruition. And so I went back and looked. And if you look at the 2022 recruiting class, um, you can kind of see a clear shift in FSU's uh, target area as far as recruiting. In the 2022 class, um, only 39% of the players they offered came from either Florida or Georgia. Okay, so 39% of the players in the 2022 uh, recruiting cycle uh, were from Georgia or Florida. When you look at the 2023 recruiting cycle, that number is already at 46%. Already at 46%, which is um, which is telling, you know. <clears throat> and I just saw that, um, I just saw um, right before I began to record this podcast at FSU um, hired former, um, former Noel and, um, a high school coach uh, Corey Fuller, and it looks like he, he's going to take the uh, director of player personnel position. I'm not sure what what that um, that position will entail, so I'm interested to hear or if we'll hear anything about that. But um, obviously, um, with um, Coach Fuller being a coach um, in Florida, um, you know he he's going to have some connections and. He's a former Noel, um, and and I haven't I have not heard anybody. And this is even before today. I have never heard anything say anything negative about um, Corey Fuller. So um, you know, you may know him from the um, impassioned speech in the rain when he um, took his guys um, there to where he grew up and was explaining to them that he came from nothing, but you know he was able to achieve something in life, and it was just pouring rain and. Um, you know, I think that thing's been seen like probably two million or more times uh, on social media and online. So um, very passionate guy, a guy that loves kids. Um, I know players that are that have played for him and, you know, they vouch for him. And, you know, so it, I guess I guess, you know, how good of a hire is it? It depends on what that position is going to do at FSU. Um, but obviously, um, Mike Norvell feels like um, he's the man for the job. And so, um, you know, we'll see how that works. And, you know, 
I went on here, um, what it was, it was like a day or two after the, um, the early sign of day and how, um, you know, everybody was down and out with the whole Travis Hunter deal and, you know, missing on, uh, Tyree West. And I, and I said, I said, look, FSU can change, you know, this is, I said, this could wind up being a good thing for FSU. And I said, this is how I said, FSU, um, can obviously, you know, go in the transfer portal and depending on who they get, you know, they can change the narrative by filling needs from the transfer portal, um, kind of how they did last year. And then the other part of that I said is, you know, that what that happening may may force FSU to take a step back and say, hold on a second. We got to do things differently as far as how we use our quote unquote resources. And so it seems like Michael Alford, the new athletic director, has has opened up a pocket of, of money that that he's provided for Mike Novell. Um, and so we're seeing a, a more, a few more, um, off the field, um, positions opening up with FSU and, um, you know, we, they lost almost the entire, um, you know, graphics department. And it seems like they've already replaced all of those guys, um, with a new team. And I see they're already, um, pumping out some things that, that look uh, promising on social media too. So, um, so it looks like FSU is trying to make a move to to compete uh and and you know get back to a respectable level um on and off the field i know they you know we had talked about it before they had kind of fallen behind and they didn't have the the support staff that some of the other schools have um uh, in the conference you know namely like clemson and so um it seems like um you know even coming off a a five and uh seven record that um, Michael Alford uh, is, is giving, you know, Mike Novell some additional support. And so, uh, you know, ultimately we'll see how, how that, that, that shapes up for FSU. Uh, but they've done a good job of, of targeting, you know, some 2023 guys. And I think they'll have their, um, you know, upcoming junior day here in March. And so, you know, I've written about this too. That's going to be those days are going to be really key. So they've gotten they've done a good job of getting kids to come to campus. You know, obviously, that's that's part of the recruiting process. Every, the more you can get a kid to come to campus, then the higher the probability is that you you know you're going to sign them. For the most part, you know we know there are some exceptions to the rule, but um, whoever shows up at these junior days is going to give you a good a good in, indication of who is in it. Um, who FSU is in it for and, and, and maybe who they're not. And, um, and hopefully, you know, I'm looking at, I hope they, the same energy they gave to the uh, offensive line um, last recruiting cycle. I know we got, um, you know, some guys last year on the defensive side of the ball as far as defensive tackles, but I really need, you know, a couple of difference makers this recruiting cycle. I think that's going to be really important for FSU moving forward. You know, they're going to lose, um, Robert Cooper, they're going to lose, uh, Fabian Lovett, you know, after this year. And like I said, they haven't, they haven't signed a four, a four star defensive tackle out of high school since Robert Cooper, Robert Cooper in 2018. So they, um, they've got some guys that, that are developing with Malcolm Ray and, um, you know, Jared Jackson and, and, you know, Joshua Farmer, but, you know, they, they're going to need some, some difference makers, um, if they really want uh, that defense to um, to take the next step, and how about how about that? Um, you know, 
I was one of the few people, you know, you know, saying, hold on a second, you know, don't, you know, don't, you know, don't pass judgment too quick with Adam Fuller. And I'm not written about it. I mean, I knew, I knew we had, um, we had improved a great deal over last year. And, um, uh, I think it was, gosh, what's the name of the, it was, um, was it pick six previews on Twitter or something like that, like that. And FSU had, uh, one of the highest turnarounds or improvements, um, over the previous year. Um, and I think, and obviously they're not going to improve at that percentage, um, again in 2022, but, um, you know, with, with all of the players returning, I think we should see, um, some continued improvement. You know, you got another year in the system, you know, you got some familiarity with the players and what they can do with strengths and weaknesses. And so I expect that unit to be, um, better than they were last year, which, you know, they were right there to what, uh, I think they were number 39 in one of the advanced metrics, um, I use, and so, you know, if they can, if they can improve to top 25, you know, possibly top 20, hey, the sky's the limit. Um, and hopefully, you know, they can have some, some good injury luck on the offense, offensive side of the ball. And, um, and then we, you know, we have the schedule that'll be released, um, next week, I think it is. And I'm a firm believer in, you know, when games are played can really impact, you know, the difficulty of the schedule, um, you know, so I'm interested to see um, how that's going to shake out for FSU. I know we know they open with uh, Duquesne and, you know, we know that, um, you know, they play LSU um, and LSU's opener. So, you know, that's going to be early in the season. But I'm really curious to see, um, you know, when they're going to play, um, you know, Clemson, uh, Miami, I mean, hell, Miami may not even have an offensive coordinator by the time we play him the way things are going. So, um, you know, the, the way the games lay out on that schedule are going to, are going to tell us a lot uh, and give us a, a, you know, at that point, I think I can look at it and say, okay, based on this, I can give an accurate kind of, um, you know, win total, you know, probability, if you will. So I'm excited to see, um, how that shakes out. But, um, but yeah, so, um, right now, you know, those guys going through tour duty and, uh, things, uh, you know, seem to go to be going well, you know, the players, you know, seem to be enjoying, uh, the work that's being put in and, um, you know, before long we'll have the spring game and, um, probably by then we'll have our general idea of if, if some of the transfers or, or, or the guys we may think they are and, or, Maybe they may not be the guys we thought they were. So, um, but you know, not going to hold you guys too long tonight. Um, really appreciate you guys uh, tuning in and supporting uh, the podcast. Um, it won't be as long for the next episode. Um, I promise you. And um, make sure you go out and um, sub- you know, subscribe. Um, turn those notifications on so you'll know whenever the next episode is released. Um, really appreciate the um, the latest five star re- reviews that we have. I think I'm up to 22 now. Um, so if this is your first time listening and you enjoyed it, uh, feel like you learned something, uh, make sure you go and um, support us and give us a five star rating on whatever uh, platform you listen on. And um, if you if you've been listening and you haven't done it yet, man, I really would appreciate it. Um, 
it's uh it helps the channel helps us get out there to um to more people make sure you check out our sponsor um bitonline.ag and um we'll catch you guys next time go no thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.